There's all kinds of stuff that gets in between our relationships, but ultimately, God, our Father, is all our Father. And he set the example for me on how to love my own dad. And God blessed me because at the end of my life, my dad was able to come back and love me. This is First Person. Welcome to this week's conversation. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Well, on Father's Day weekend, we thought we'd introduce you to a man whose father failed in many ways, and yet in the end, through forgiveness and the grace of God, their relationship was healed and restored. You'll meet Juan Ortiz and hear his powerful story in just a moment. Today's program is just the latest in this weekly series, and I invite you to stay current with us through our website, which we keep up to date with the latest on each guest. It's all found at firstpersoninterview.com. Again, firstpersoninterview.com. Plus, we have a Facebook page that is there for you to use and leave comments about what you hear in this program. Just go to facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Be sure to click on like and then leave a comment. Facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Don't forget that you can download any program through iTunes. Well, a mutual friend told me about today's guest and how he admired his testimony following a very hard start in his early life. Juan Ortiz is that man, and he describes himself as a living miracle of God's grace and mercy. And I invited him to the studio to tell us his story. Well, today I'm very thankful for what God has done. There's no doubt that I am where I am and the fact that I'm alive because of God's grace. Uh, I would never recommend my life to anyone to go through what I went through, but I'm so thankful I did now. It's it's uh, taught me so much and it's made me the person I am. My story really starts off... Um, uh, and uh, my parents, who are from Monterey, Mexico. Monterey, Mexico is a huge city in the country of Mexico. It's like a Chicago, uh, three hours south of the border. My parents um, were about as different as they could be. My father came from a successful family. My mother came from a typical um, family in Mexico who was, you know, poor. Uh, she was one of 13 kids. They lived in a one-bedroom studio just broke. Wow. And um, her father lived in the United States, like many Mexican families. He was working as a mechanic and would send half his income back to the family. All the older kids, including my mother, would work. Um, so my mom only has a seventh grade education. She stopped working at or stopped school after seventh grade. My father, on the other hand, his father didn't marry till he was older. He made all his money, built a company and and uh, made a lot of money. But by the time he had my father, he was an older man. And he eventually had uh, two um, young girls, two. He, so he, so my dad had two sisters. But my dad had everything. Uh, kind of a spoiled brat. You know, he had money, he had clothing, jewelry, the best education. He went to private school. So your mom and dad came from different worlds. Completely different. Um, economically and mentality. Hmm. And uh, But my dad got whatever he wanted. My mom was a stunning, beautiful young woman, and he loved her. And he, he uh, basically started dating her and said, you know, if you marry me, uh, I'll give you everything you want. He was legal in the United States. His family traveled to the United States, and so he could come and go as he wanted. And that kind of excited her. Um, ironically, her family said, this guy doesn't care about you. <laughs> You're just the girl of the month. Hmm. And... On the other side, his family said, Matt, 
this girl just wants your money. She's from the other side of the tracks, as we would say. That's huh? right. Yeah. So it's weird. Two completely different economical situations, yet both against each other. But uh, my mom did want my dad, really loved him, and they married at uh, 16 and 17. Wow. And they came to the United States. The challenge was my dad struggled here. You know, no longer did he have daddy to pay bills. Mm -hmm. But my dad did believe the United States was the place to be. He always believed this country's great. There's free enterprise here. We can do something special. They moved in with a bunch of other Mexican families, which is typically what a lot of them do. They move in with relatives or friends just to get started. Eventually, my dad got a job and uh, driving a bulldozer, and we got a little apartment. I was born in 1961. I'm the oldest of what eventually would be six kids. But by the time my mom was 22, she had four kids and couldn't speak English, um, living in a little apartment by herself with her kids. And uh, my father struggled. Uh, He had a job, but he couldn't deal with the lack of money, all the things he had. And so, you know, he just uh, started drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, he had already been smoking as a kid because he had access to cigarettes and stuff. And eventually he got into drugs. He didn't really do a lot of the heavy drugs, but marijuana was his main drug. And mixing that with alcohol made him a pretty difficult person to live with. Um, was there abuse involved? There was. And um, as far as back as I can remember, my dad would hit us. You know, um, you know, I, my dad spent 18 years in prison. So when he was in prison, I was able to visit him as an older person to just ask him about this. So I would ask my dad, dad, why, why would you hit us? And he just said, you know, I never wanted to, I I really loved you guys, but I just, I couldn't control myself. Just to be clear, this wasn't just merely discipline. This was abuse. Yeah, it was abuse. I mean, he was angry. Everything bothered him. Um, A a typical day for us that I can remember, my dad would go to work in the morning. Uh, We'd hang around with my mom. You know, this is probably when we're four or five or younger. Um, And he'd come home. She'd cook him something, and he would go out. He loved to party, so he would go out and drink with his friends, womanize. And then somewhere late at night, he'd come home. We'd be in bed, and he He'd make my mom get up and cook him something because he was now drunk or high or both. And um, very jealous man. So, you know, he would accuse her of where you been while I've been out, you know. And she's like, I never leave this place. But he'd start pushing her and hitting her. I'd get up and, you know, I'd then try to protect her. And then he'd hit me. And So these are your earliest memories then, aren't they? Yeah, they are. That's as far as back as I can remember. Those are the memories of my father. And... Um, uh, you know, my dad started not only using drugs, he started dealing drugs. And that's where life became a little crazy because, you know, he was now supplying, getting supplies of drugs and selling them to his friends at work and everywhere. And people were coming to our apartment and, and even the police would come looking for him. And um, after a while, we were moving all the time. So about every six months, we would move. And that was pretty hard for me because school was tough. First of all, we were in an English school system, and I couldn't speak the language. Uh, Kids wouldn't play with you. So you'd go to school, and I hated school. So I couldn't wait to get home to my only friend, which was my mom. And then my dad would come home that night and beat us. So it was like, Hmm. I don't get life. You know, I I hated it. Pretty angry. And, And then I would act that way in school. You know, like, what's wrong with this kid? He's so angry, so mad. So how long did this last for you, your whole childhood? Um... 
from about, as far as I can remember, it was from about five years old to about 10. We moved literally every six months. We started in, uh, I think it was San Antonio, Texas. We moved to Houston, Texas. We moved down to Galveston. We moved back across the border to, you know, Matamotis, Mexico, and then to Brownsville. And always running from the law, from drug dealers. You can never take anything. And every six months, we're starting in a new school and, you know, a new bus and fighting new kids. But at about 10, uh, I will never forget it. My dad came in intoxicated like many nights, and he said, hey, I got good news, which, you know, (laughs) he used the word good news a lot. And we were like, okay, whatever. Um, I got a friend in Chicago who's going to help us. And we're leaving tonight. And mm. so, um, Just like that. Yeah. I found out years later in prison that my dad really did love us because he said that night we needed to leave because they were coming to kill us. Oh, wow. And so that was pretty scary to know. Um, we got in a station wagon in February. We were in Houston, Texas. 24 hours later, we ended in a little town called West Chicago, Illinois. And, Which uh, is a lot colder in February than <laughs> yeah, Houston, Texas. It was a rude awakening. We went from 70-some <laughs> degrees to 10 below zero. Uh, but unfortunately, the guy that was going to help us uh, was arrested mm. just just a few weekends before, and uh, we were instantly homeless. So life was not only no better, it was worse for you. You know, we didn't know the difference. We just really didn't know. I mean, as a kid, you just go, I don't know. I don't get it. Nothing makes sense. We don't know what a normal family's like. We don't know. I mean, we're wearing the same clothes. We came from Texas, and we wear, you know, we sleep in the same clothes. We go to school. We smell. Kids would always fight us. It's just crazy. Sometimes we'd have money because my dad made money from a big deal, and other times we'd be starving to death. And But this was pretty bad. Uh, my dad's... Here we are in West Chicago, Illinois, uh, ended up driving to a little bar by the DuPage Airport and basically sat in the bar for three or four hours drinking and left my mom and us in the car Mm. in 10 below zero. Um, Still remember my mom huddling us all up together. She, of course, isn't educated, and so she said, look, I I heard somewhere that if we huddle up like chickens, (laughs) I still remember how funny it was, and she said, it'll keep you warm, and she did. She kept us warm that night. But to this whole to this day, she was frostbitten, and she still hurts when she goes in the cold. Is that right? So my dad comes out of the bar and says, "Hey, good news." <laughs> We're like, "Really? More good news?" Yeah. Uh, there's an abandoned farm down the road, and we're gonna go there for a few days. And I promise you, because he really he really wanted to do what's right, he just had no self control. Mm. And he goes, "I promise you, we're gonna stay there for a couple days, and we'll." Um, I'm going to get a job, and we're going to get a home. And he always had this dream of living like he did as a kid with his father. Well, we ended up moving to that farm. Or we, that night, we drove to that farm. Our car got stuck in the snow. And it's a little broken down, abandoned farm right off uh, Route 64. It's no longer there. And we didn't live there for three days. We lived there for three years. Really? Um, pretty tragic. Starving. And the abuse never stopped. Mm. So... That was that was probably three of the hardest years of my life. Uh, I actually was suicidal then. My dad had guns. I'd seen my dad shoot him. He'd allowed us to shoot the guns. And it just crossed my mind that, you know, it'd be pretty easy to just pull the trigger on myself and end this all. But the thing that kept me alive was my mom. So She sounds like quite a woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's a good person. You're going to want to stay tuned to hear about the relationship with his father coming up on First Person. 
Next time, you'll meet Mark Gregston of Parenting Today's Teens. I think I'm just a normal guy doing a normal thing of meeting with kids, and that's it. I don't get inflated in any arena, but I do look back at my life and I go, you know, the older I get, the more that I see that God has had a plan. His ministry to troubled teens and their parents is remarkable, and you'll meet Mark Gregston next time on First Person. My guest on First Person today is my friend Juan Ortiz. My friend, we've only met uh, just today for the first time, actually, although we have some mutual friends, Juan. That's right. It's exciting to hear your story because I know where it's going. Uh, so far, it's been pretty dark, and you've, you've had a horrendous childhood, yeah. but a great mom, mother who stood by you yeah. and, and your family. You get emotional when you talk about your yeah, mom, Yeah, I do, every you? time. She's pretty special to me, so, yeah. I, I can see why. She held the family together. Well, she's my hero, you know, to see a person kind of been through what she's been through and hung in there, uneducated, not a lot, grew up in poverty and in a foreign country, away from all her family. You know, today she can read and write both English and Spanish, learned it on her own. <laughs> she's so funny because she learned it from TV. So some of her English sounds like the Flintstones, but it's uh, <laughs> she's a lot of fun and she's just one of the most beautiful people you'll oh, ever meet. I'd love to meet her sometime. Yeah. Well, uh, this is not Mother's Day. This is more Father's Day time. Yeah. And the father you had wasn't exactly a model, although you said that he, you know, he loved you deep down inside. What happened to your dad in prison and what, what happened eventually? Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit about the story and how it kind of ends there. But uh, we lived on that farm for three years. Of course, my mother felt school was important. So we walked literally five miles in August. So remember, we came in February. And in August, she walked us to a school. She didn't know where she was going, so it was her and her. And now we had five, she had five kids by this time. Literally found a school, and we hated school. Again, I don't want to go. Kids fight with us. We're, it's well, just, I was, can see why it was difficult for you. It was you. just, I hate everything about it. But we went to a little school in West Chicago, and while we were there, there was a social worker who just took notice of us. I mean, obviously, there were poor kids and kids that were hungry or on the free meal but we were definitely, I mean, we're still wearing the clothes from Houston, hmm. just to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. But over those three years, a teacher by the name of Mr. Laurie totally loved us. Great man. And it just, first time I had seen a male role model that I was like, you're different. He really reached out to me and my siblings. Hmm. This social worker went to a church, Wheaton Bible Church, and she just made the church aware, said, look, I'm a social worker. I really can't do anything because I'm in school. I'm loving these kids. But this this family needs help. So uh, one day, Saturday on the farm there, again, uh, was a, during the winter, we uh, had some plastic over the windows, but we used to sit around the stove, and my mom would turn on the stove, and she'd tell us stories. My dad was never around, <laughs> yeah. still crazy. But a knock came to the door, and it was this woman, and, in, and my mom asked me to get the door. I opened the door, and it was this woman, and, and in Spanish, she said it in Spanish. She said, hi, my name is Grace. Walters, and I am from the Wheaton Bible Church, and the Lord Jesus has sent us to help you. Mm. So I turned around and said, Mom, there's some lady that knows a guy named Jesus. Because, <laughs> you know, there's about a million Jesuses in this world. But um, My mom had literally prayed three days earlier. She said, I don't know if you're real. She prayed to God. But if you are, we need help. And uh, 
this knock came to our door. How appropriate it came in the form of grace. Yeah. Right? Isn't it unbelievable? So you know what this, these guys did? They, the, the Wheaton Bible Church uh, gave us a home in Wheaton, found a job for my mom and dad, gave us clothes, gave us food, and they told us about Jesus. I, I wanted to meet Jesus because I'm like, this guy's writing the checks. You know, this guy's <laughs> paying the, I don't know who he is. And I really thought he was a person. Huh. And, um, well, he is. <laughs> he really is, yeah. And so um, they invited me to a camp literally a couple weeks later. And um, and I went to camp as a seventh grader, I, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Hmm. Now, I'd like to tell you that everything changed there, but it didn't. My dad did uh, go to church, put on a suit and tie, but nothing changed privately. I graduated from Wheaton North High School, and uh, my youth pastor helped me to sign up for Trinity uh, International University in Deerfield, Illinois. And two weeks before I left, my dad was arrested. Mm -hmm. My mother and my sister eventually pressed charges, and uh, and my dad would end up serving 18 years in prison. But uh, you know, I I saw him as my dad, and I just felt like God was in my heart. And now I've been a Christian six or seven years, and I just said, you know. You need to love your father. And so while he was in prison, I uh, took his collect phone calls. My bills got pretty big, and I went to visit him just about every month. And at first, he was angry. He was mean to me. He was mean to my family. I'm the only one of my siblings and my mother that stayed in touch with him. Eventually, my siblings would go visit my father because of my prompting, and eventually I would take my mom to see him. But um, but it was difficult. For 10 years of those 18 years, he was angry, critical, uh, pretty mean. But I just kept praying and kept every time I'd go, I'd share that God loved him and that he could turn around. And eventually my dad recommitted his life in prison and God totally turned him around. Mm. So Wow. Yep. So um, he got his GED from high school. He got a two-year pastor's associate, became the boxing coach. And uh, you saw a changed man. Uh, I was crazy. It was so rewarding as a son. My dad was deported when he was released from prison. Once he was released from prison here in Illinois, never allowed in the United States. But my dad was a changed man then. He was a he loved God, and he ended up living in the back of a little church. His uh, cousin was the pastor, Christian church in Mexico. He lived about another six years. Uh, he died of a heart attack at 60 years old. Mm. Um, but here's the coolest part. So every day in those six years, he would sit outside on a little container, little box, bucket, whatever it was, and gang kids would uh, stop by, and he befriended so many gang kids. And he told them how bad prison was, and he told them about God's love. As a matter of fact, the pastor was a little nervous because the church was getting full of these bad kids. <laughs> but at his funeral which my mom and all my siblings, um, we flew back for. Not many family members there for him. My aunts came, of course, they loved him. But over 100 gang kids showed up for his funeral. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, it was pretty powerful. So. so we get to the Father's Day part of this story. You had a very difficult life, a difficult relationship with your father until the Lord changed things and turned things around for you, Juan. Look back over your life now. And does it make any sense to you why you went through what you went through? I realized that God wanted me. You know, he truly loved me and he, he wanted all of me. And so I was able to, 
in spite of my father. Because of how my father was, I wanted to be different. And because of that, I chose to follow, you know, Jesus. And my heavenly father became my father. And uh, But in loving me, even though I felt like my dad was my enemy, you know, he just was so messed up. God said, you need to love your your very own father. And so it's kind of cool in prison. There was a special moment towards the end of his prison sentence where my dad thanked me. So Really? So do you, it's, do you it's, remember the words? What did he say? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I brought my two boys with me. Stephen and Philip were there. They were young kids at a time. And he just, I remember he, uh, he never took off his sunglasses in prison because, you know, it's just kind of a cool thing to do, I guess. But he took off his sunglasses and he was crying. And so both of us are kind of in the prison there where you don't cry in prison because yeah. when we leave, he's got to stay. But I had my two boys, and he said, you know, God blessed you with two um, beautiful boys, Juan. Like he blessed me with you. Thank you for being a good son. Oh, boy. And I guess I just tell fathers and sons, you know, there's conflict. There's comparisons. There's all kinds of stuff that gets in between our relationships. But ultimately, God, our father, is all our father. And he sets the example. And he set the example for me on how to love my own dad. And God bless me because at the end of my life, my dad was able to come back and love me. Yeah. So he pretty he, powerful. He gave you a blessing at the end of his life. What a treasure, huh? It really is. And I, you know, I'm so thankful for it today. I, I get emotional because it just was special. But I really look forward to seeing my dad in heaven someday. Yeah. Well, after hearing this story, we all look forward to meeting your dad in heaven. We, we really do. Now, you mentioned your two sons, and that's not to the extent of your family. Tell me about your family today that now the Lord has blessed you with, and based on what you went through, God has turned that situation around and given you a wonderful family and ministry today. Yeah, you know, when I went to college, I told my mother, I'm because again, my dad went to prison two weeks before college, and it was really a difficult time. My mom was scared. I was scared. How am I going to pay for college? I'm not a smart person. But I told my mom, you know what? I'm going to get a college education. I'm going to come home and live with you the rest of my life, mom. Because I knew I couldn't get married. I don't know how to treat a woman. I never had that example. And if I ever found a woman that would marry me, I don't I'm not having kids. I don't know how to be a dad. But ironically, we've been married 29 years to my wife, Becky. And being Mexican, I have five kids, which is the quota for Mexicans, <laughs> which is. Um, it's just under the quota, actually. Just, right? Actually, it's just right under. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I have two boys, uh, Stephen and Philip, both graduated from college today, talented kids, and three girls in high school. So it's been an amazing blessing to have kids. Today, to be able to fa- be a father and have the kids, I just feel so fortunate. What a miraculous story of reconciliation and forgiveness between a father and son coming after many years of neglect and abuse. Our guest has been Juan Ortiz, and today Juan is a businessman who's active in his church, often called on to preach. You'll find more information at firstpersoninterview.com. We also have a Facebook page, which is dedicated to this program. It's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, you'll meet Mark Gregson of Heartlight and the nationally syndicated radio program Parenting Today's Teens. Mark and I are on that program together each week, but First Person gives you a chance to learn about Mark on a personal level as we talk about how God has prepared and led him. That's next time. 
Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.